so good to be at church today with all of you. Sonny and I got back on Friday night from Croatia, just before the snow apocalypse hit here in Illinois. So we're, we're glad to be here, glad to worship with all of you. It's 2019. Isn't that crazy? 2019. This is my first sermon in 2019, so I got a lot of bound up energy that I got to release today. I want y'all to know, too, as we start today, you know, every day is a gift from God. Do you agree with that? And 2019 is, is full of days that are gifts from the Lord. And I, I want us as a church to make the most of what we have in front of us this year. And, you know, I, I don't know what 2019 has in store for us. I can't say particularly or with specifics because I, I don't know yet. Um, but I, I can imagine that in this year for each of us and for us collectively as a church, there's some good things that are coming down the pike. There are some difficult things. There's going to be some ups and downs. There's going to be some struggles. But I believe that God is going to use all of that for us to grow us, to mature us, to make us more like him. Do you agree with that, church? I have faith that God's going to use this year powerfully in the lives of our, in the lives of all of you, but in the life of our church. Here's the question I want to ask as we turn our attention to 2 Thessalonians. We're starting a new series today entitled Kingdom Come. I know the timing isn't great in the midst of the snow apocalypse, but I'm just going to keep going. We finished up 1 Thessalonians at the end of 2018. We're piggybacking on that today, going right into 2 Thessalonians. And here's the question that I want to address from this book as we start this series, okay? Here it is. What kind of church do we want to be? You might add in 2019, but even beyond that, what kind of church right now for the future, what kind of church do we want to be? What kind of church do we want here at Harvest Decatur? What do we want to be known for in our community? What do we want to stake our reputation on? Some churches stake their reputation on their awesome building facilities. And we get, we got great facilities here at Harvest, but I don't, I don't want to stake my church's reputation, our church's reputation on our facilities because, you know, some of them are going to break down in 2019. Some churches stake their reputation on their huge attendance on Sunday mornings. I don't want to stake our church's reputation on that. Even if we grow phenomenally in 2019, even if we're a mega church at the end of 2019, I don't want to stake our church's reputation on that. I don't want to look to that and say, that's what makes us healthy or that's what makes us blessed before the Lord. What should our focus be on instead? What should, what should we stake our reputation on instead? You guys think about these things? I think about these things all the time. John MacArthur says this about a church's reputation. He says, churches take pride in many things. Their large membership, attendance, the size of their campus, the design of their buildings, their wealth, their music, their social status, the prominence of their pastor, their political clout, their influence in the community, their zeal for a particular theological cause. And judged by those superficial standards, the Thessalonian church, the book that I just read, 2 Thessalonians, the book that we just worked through, 1 Thessalonians, that church certainly had little 
to commend it. John writes, it had no buildings, no programs, no performers, no publications. It was not a large or wealthy church. The congregation lacked social and political influence. They didn't have a famous pastor. We don't even know who their pastor was. Yet they were a church to which the Apostle Paul could write, we ought always to give thanks to God for you. We ourselves speak proudly of you among the churches of God. What made this church, this Thessalonian church, what made it commendable by Paul? What gave this church such a great reputation among Paul and the other churches where Paul ministered? I'll give you three things this morning. And these are three things that we should strive for here at Harvest Decatur. Go ahead and write this down as number one in your notes. What kind of church do we want to be? Here's, here's the kind of church we want to be. We want to be a church whose faith is flourishing. Everybody with me? We want to be a church whose faith is flourishing. Here's how Paul starts this letter. It's almost, by the way, it's almost identical to 1 Thessalonians. You can see that for yourself if you want to look at that. Paul says, addressing this letter, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, the the authors, you might say, co-authored by the Holy Spirit, obviously, to the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you in peace. This is typical Pauline language, right? As he writes his letters. Grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Coincidentally, just so you know, a little background to 2 Thessalonians, this letter was written just a few months after 1 Thessalonians was written, written. And that was just a few months. 1 Thessalonians was written just a few months after Paul had planted this church in Thessalonica. It's interesting, the sequence of events, as you look back on it, you know, Paul visits this city, Thessalonica. He plants this church. He gets kicked out of the city. A riot started there because of what he was preaching. And shortly after that, from Corinth, he writes a letter of instruction to the church, 1 Thessalonians. And then a few months later, Later, he writes another letter, 2 Thessalonians. And the content of those two letters is very similar, not just in the opening greeting, but throughout. We'll talk in this series about the ways that these two books are similar, and yet we'll look at the nuanced differences between the two letters. Here's a question. Why did Paul write this letter, 2 Thessalonians, so quickly after his first letter, just a few months And so similar, too, to his first letter. I don't know. (laughs) I don't know underneath the rubric of God's sovereignty why he did this. I would just say this. Some things bear repeating. And God wanted Paul to say some things twice here in 1 and 2 Thessalonians. Also, there's some clarification in 2 Thessalonians from 1 Thessalonians. So the church must have needed some, some further detail on what Paul wanted for the church. And so he writes 2 Thessalonians, and I'm glad Paul did because it benefits us in our day just as much as it benefited the Thessalonians in their day. But I want you to see this. Before Paul gets into instruction and clarifications in this letter, he gives this church compliments. And verses 1 through 4 is full of compliments for the kind of church that they are. He addresses this church, just like he did in 1 Thessalonians, as a healthy church, as a good church, as a God-honoring church, not a perfect church, not a perfect church, but a commendable church. Here's what Paul says. Read this in your Bibles with me. Verse 3, we ought always to give thanks to God for you. Why? Why thank God for this church, Paul? 
We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. Do you remember what Paul said in 1 Thessalonians? He said, rejoice always, give thanks in all circumstances. Well, Paul is practicing what he preached right here, which that's a good thing for preachers to do, practice what they preach. So he's giving thanks. Thank you. And he's praising God and he's rejoicing that this church is a good church. It's a, what's he complimenting them for at first? The fact that their faith is flourishing. Their faith is growing. Their faith, here's the Greek word, huper oxano. Let's turn to your neighbor right now and say huper oxano. That Greek word is a combination of two words, hooper meaning hyper and oxano meaning to grow. So, you know, Luke said about Jesus that he grew up oxano. He grew up strong, full of wisdom and grace. Luke chapter two, verse 40. Well, Paul says here that the faith of the Thessalonians has not just grown oxano, but hooper oxano, hyper growth in the, the case of their faith. It means this word, hooperexano, means grow wonderfully or increase abundantly. That's what their faith has done. Let me say it this way. It's a little word picture for you. The faith of the Thessalonians is flourishing like a lush garden full of tasty vegetables and ripe fruit. That's the description of this church and their faith. Their faith is growing. It's growing with superabundance. Now, I don't know about, I, as I read this, even as I was reading it just a few seconds ago, that's what I want for myself. That's what I want for this church. I want God to be able to say something like this about Harvest Decatur. Forget the buildings, forget the attendance, forget our political influence or lack thereof. Do we have a faith? Do you have a faith that is growing abundantly, that is flourishing? that is bearing fruit. Is that the case with your faith? By the way, let me just address this. Can you grow in faith? Can you now? Or is faith like something you either, you know, you either got it or you don't. It's like a commodity. I got faith or I don't have faith. Can you grow in faith? Well-known British writer and Anglican pastor, John Stott, he said this, and I think this is helpful. He said, we tend to speak of faith in static terms as something we either have or we don't have. I wish I had your faith, we say, like I wish I had your complexion, as if it were a genetic endowment. Or we complain, I've lost my faith, like I've lost my spectacles, where to go? As if it were a commodity. But let me be clear about this faith. You know, when you're born again, you have faith, faith in Christ, saving faith. That's something that can grow inside of you. Do you know that? That can strengthen, that in, increases. Paul, Jesus even alludes to this, the degrees of faith, as he told his disciples, oh, you of little faith. And when he commended other people by saying, I haven't seen anyone in Israel with such great faith as you. And John Stott he says, of course, this is a case because faith in Christ, this is the start of a relationship. And like any relationship, it can grow. It can strengthen. 
And that's the case with our faith. Let me just, let me personalize this a little bit for you. So to make sense. I got saved. I've shared this with you guys before. I got saved at around age six. I went to a Christian school. The uh, pastor of the Christian school where I attended, he got up during chapel and preached the gospel. I was convicted. I went forward, repented, got saved. I got saved at age six, okay? Now, here's the question. Is my faith the same or is it different than it was 35 years ago? It's, here's my answer. It's the same, but it's different, okay? I mean, it's, Jesus Christ was my savior at age six. The faith is the same. It's the same, but it has grown and it has strengthened. And there's a depth to it that I didn't know existed when I was six, when I was 18, when I was 25. Are y'all with me? Y'all experiencing this too? My faith in 2019 is stronger than it was, you know, in 2018, way back then. And it was stronger in 2018 than it was in 2017. And yeah, maybe I had a, a year or two that was down, but it, it rebounded. And year to, year to year and day to day, my faith is... Do, y'all, do you sense that in your own life? That growth curve, that strengthening of your faith? You should. You should. There's a depth to it, like I said, that I didn't know existed. And you might say to that, okay, Pastor Tony, has, has my faith grown? Has, has my faith grown? Yes, it has. It has. But how can I accelerate that? How, how can I strive to grow even more in my faith in 2019? Can I just give you two things real quick? I know you're used to me giving you three things. I'm going to give you two things. I'm just changing it up today, all right? It's two things quick. I could give you 20 things, but I'm going to give you two things. Here's one way to grow your faith in 2019. Everybody listening? Don't be anxious in 2019. Instead, pray. Are you all with me? The Bible says, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. So don't fret. Instead, pray. Don't be anxious. Instead, pray. You know, I know, I've said this before, let me say it again. I know anxiety is this negative thing. It really is a very negative thing. It's a sinful thing. But there is a way in which anxiety is a gift from God. You know why? Because anxiety lets you know that you're not God and that you need God, and that is a gift. And so that anxiety starts to build up in your heart. You guys have experiences like this? I have this all the time. Anxious, anxious, anxious. What do you do? What do you do in light of that? You take that and you turn it into prayers. I'm going to pray this through. I'm going to turn to Christ. I'm going to cry out to him. I'm going to ask him for help. In 2019, turn your anxieties into prayer and see if that doesn't accelerate your spiritual growth. It will. I've seen it do that in my own life. Let me give you another thing. So that's one way to grow your faith in 2019. Here's the second way. Spend time with God every day. And, and I mean every day. And let me add to that. Spend the best time of your day every day with God. And see if that doesn't 
help accelerate your spiritual life. And, and let, me, let me give you some advice for that. Turn your phone off. Y'all with me? Put down the computer. I'm, I'm going old school in 2019 for my devotions. I want print and ink and a spine. I'm, you know, because I don't know about, you know, I try to do devotions on my phone. I get distracted, you know, just this and that and that. And I'm done with the phone with devotions, okay? Maybe you guys are more disciplined than I am and you can do it. I, I'm going old school. But whatever way you do it, however you do it, take the best time of your day when your energy is the best and spend time with God every day and see if that doesn't affect your spiritual growth. I could say, I can say this just from experience in the last 35 years, nothing has grown my faith more than time with God in his word every day, every day. I could mention 20 other things, but I have to mention that one because of how much it's changed me. I'll tell you another thing that strengthened my faith, just a quick story. When I was in Croatia, I got to preach last uh, week at my brother-in-law's church, and uh, it was great. My brother-in-law was translating for me, and um, I was preaching on Psalm 2, which I've preached here before, and, and there were these dear brothers and sisters that just sat in the front row and were amening everything that I was saying. It was just, you know, you guys know I like to ask rhetorical questions, you know, just kind of stimulate thinking. Well, in Croatia, they don't take them as rhetorical. They'll, they talk back. They just start answering my questions. And so I was talking about Psalm 2 and, and Christ and what it meant to kiss the son, lest he be angry with you. And this dear brother who had just gotten saved was in the front row, and he, he didn't even wait for the Croatian translation. He just shouted out, it means to trust in Jesus Christ as your savior. Broken English and everything, and yeah, that's right, good. <laughs> you know, thank you for your response. And he was fired up too. And I remember this other dear brother too. This, I love this. This strengthened my faith. This got me fired up coming back to the States this week. You know, sometimes I don't even have to ask a question for them to respond. I was preaching on Psalm 2, and, and um, this dear older brother was in the front row, probably in his 60s, 70s. He was amening everything I was saying, like, like Mike Holder on steroids, this guy. <laughs> amen, amen, you know, in Croatian accent and all. And so I was getting fired up and preaching, and, and I was talking about Jesus Christ, the sovereign king of the universe, the son who set aside his glory and majesty and came to earth and died on the cross for our sins, and I said, I don't know about you, but that's, that's my king. Jesus is my king. And he, he shouted out. He didn't even wait for Croatian. He said, me too. Me too. Jesus is my king too. And this dear brother, by the way, he had just lost his wife a few months before that. And just hearing his faith and interacting with them. That strengthens my faith. What kind of church do we want to be? First of all, we want to be a church whose faith is flourishing, strong, strengthening. Here's another thing. Write this down as number two in your notes. We want to be a church whose love is abounding. A church whose love is abounding. Look, at, look with me again at verse three. Paul's thanking God for this church in Thessalonica. Why? Well, I'd always to thank 
to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. We've already seen that. But also the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Paul says, I thank God because your faith is growing and your love for one another is increasing. Your agape for one another. Remember that word one another, a lay alone in Greek? It's, it's New Testament code for fellow believers. Your faith, sorry, your love for one another within the church is increasing. It's growing. It's intensifying. The Greek word here for increasing is the word pleonazo. It means to become more and more, to, to be in, a, in abundance. Paul says here, I can't stop thanking God for you. I can't stop giving thanks to God. Why? Because, because you love each other in the church. You love each other so much. And your love for one another is increasing more and more. And even it says in verse 4, it's, it's, it's become famous among the other churches your love for one another and your faithfulness to the Lord. And to that you might say, love for one another in the church. No, 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 Pastor Tony. Church is a place where people resent each other. Church is a place of backbiting, Pastor Tony. Come on now, haven't you ever been to a church? Church is a place where there's politics and people are jockeying for authority. And Is that how a church should be? Paul says here, Paul commends the church in Thessalonica for being a place where people love each other and and even like each other and want to spend time together and worship together. Church is a place where people love Jesus and where the love of Jesus is celebrated and spread to one another like goodwill at Christmas time. Church is a place where we where we bask in God's glory and God's love like sunbathers bask in the rays of the sun, right? Is that a good picture right now in January in Illinois? Sunbathers basking in the sun. Can I just be pastoral with you for a second? Y'all can answer that question. Can I just be pastoral with you for a second? Uh, Okay, okay, thanks. I know I'm your preacher, and I preach, but I'm also a pastor. I shepherd alongside the other elders here at Harvest Decatur. And you know how shepherds are? Maybe you don't. Shepherds, in theory, uh, they know the condition of their sheep. They they have a sense of whether they're healthy or not. And so I I just want to make an observation as your shepherd, as your pastor. I feel like our church has really grown in its love for one another in the last year, two years or so. I see that in you. And I see it in in a few different ways. And I just have a sense that our love for one another is increasing within the church. I had a sense of it in Croatia when, you know, many of you were texting Sonia and asking about her mom and I know she felt loved by that. I sensed it at Christmas time. At the Czech concert that we had, I sensed it last year when Teresa Miller passed away and when Kelly Twaits was battling with cancer. I just have a sense that our love as a church is is growing and increasing. 
And I want to see more of that. Do you want to see more of that? I want to see that love continue and grow. And here's, here's what's remarkable about our church. Here's what's remarkable. We are so different in this building. We're, we're such a hodgepodge group of different people. And you know, you just look in on it in the world. It's, there's no reason we should love each other. Really, I mean, maybe tolerate each other. We're so different, different backgrounds, different ideas about things, different upbringings, different parts of Decatur and outside of Decatur. There's no reason we should have this much love and this much in common. You know what we have in common? We have Christ Jesus. That's what we have in common. And our faith in Christ knits our hearts together. It's like this, this, this love that trickles down and submits our affections to one another. And we love each other because Christ loved us first. And that's speaking as your pastor. I see that. I see that here. And I want more of that in 2019. I want more of that. I want us to grow in that. I want us to be commendable in the way that the Thessalonians are commendable for their love for one another. So you might say, okay, I want to love the people in this church better, Pastor Tony. How do I do that in 2019? Give me some handles on that. How, how do I do that? I don't know. Here's a few things. Be vulnerable with one another. Be vulnerable. Be caring for one another. Like the way many of you were caring towards Sonia. She was dealing with issues involving her parents. Be hospitable to one another. Be, you know, welcome people into your homes and lavish them with food and with hospitality. Some of y'all are so good at that. <laughs> and that, that's a great way to show love. Love the things that other people in the church love. I'll tell you the best way to love parents in this church, love their kids. Some ways that means more than loving me is the way that you guys love my son. And I know that translates for many of you as well. Be interested in the things that other people are interested in. Don't be self-focused, be them-focused. Just as an example, if someone in your small group or someone in the church, you know, if they, if they love the Chicago Bears, for example, weep with those who weep. <laughs> you know what I mean? Commiserate with them because their kicker can't make a field goal. What kind of church do we want to be? We want to be a church whose faith is flourishing, whose love is abounding. One more thing. We want to be a church whose endurance is strengthening. Endurance is strengthening. Paul says this. Look with me at verse 4. Therefore, we ourselves, Paul, Silvanus, Timothy, boast about you, Thessalonians, in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecution and in the afflictions that you are enduring. Does everybody see that word steadfastness in that verse? That is a good word. You need, you need that in your Rolodex of terms. Steadfastness. It's, you know, this is a 
It's a word that derives from an old English, two old English words, stead and fast. Before fast meant quick or speedy, it meant fixed or secured. And uh, stead meant place or secure. So the word steadfast means fixed in your position or firm in place. Locked in. I'm steadfast. The image that comes to my mind is, you know, the, the, the Buckingham Palace guards. You ever seen that, that group of people that stand steadfast and people come by and they try to, you know, uh, heckle them or insult them or try to provoke them? What do they do? They have to stand there and take it and not be provocated into anything. Just take it. And I just think about that every time I hear this word steadfast, because that's like the perfect word picture of the Christian life. I'm standing fast. I'm holding my ground. I'm not surrendering anything. I'm right here holding on to my faith. Even if endurance, even if I have to endure some things, even if I have to, to, to take on some persecution, some affliction, some trial, that's what we long for. This, let me ask you, thinking of that word picture up there, does that, does that describe you? Is that how you are with your faith, your commitment to the Lord? steadfast, enduring anything that might come your way because of your faith in Christ, because of what Christ has done for you. You know, just like in 1 Thessalonians, Paul makes this statement about how the faith of these Thessalonians was, was able even to withstand persecution and affliction. You remember when Paul came to Thessalonica and he preached the gospel? The Jews got jealous and they started this riot. They just about got that guy Jason killed they chased Paul out of town, and Paul says clearly in 1 Thessalonians that, that the persecution didn't stop after Paul left town. It still continued. They still had to suffer. The church continued to experience persecution in Thessalonica, and I, I don't know exactly what that was. I can imagine in some cases maybe people tried to intimidate them. In some cases maybe they were ostracized from the community. In some cases they might have been blackballed in some professions and so had to endure poverty and joblessness. Those are best case scenarios, by the way. Worst case scenarios is they got physically beaten and imprisoned and even executed. We know that happened in the ancient world. And Paul got a piece of that in just about every city he went to, that kind of persecution. And Paul says here, you are steadfast in your faith. You are brave and courageous even under persecution, even under afflictions. And I brag about you to the other churches because of that. And you know what, Harvest Decatur, I long for us as a church to be like that, to have that kind of steadfastness and endurance built into us that we can withstand anything that the world throws at us. You know, a lot of times suffering and affliction, that actually brings about the spiritual growth that we long for. I was listening to a message this last week by Pastor Eric Mason, and he alluded to this. He said, God is concerned about one thing and one thing only, that we would look like Jesus. And Mason said this, he said, he is spit shining us to make us practically into the image of his son. He doesn't send trials to take away our joy, but to increase our joy. And when I sense, this is what he said, when I sense that a trial is coming, in fact, he said that you're either in three places in life. You're either going into a trial, you're in a trial, you're coming out of a trial. One of those three. And he said, when I sense that a trial is coming, I pray that God would receive maximum glory out of that. 
Do you pray like that? Are we praying like that as we endure things? That's God's purpose for our lives with the trial, with suffering, with afflictions, with persecution. Now, okay, let's address this because some of you are even saying that right now. You might say, Pastor Tony, nobody's persecuting us here in Decatur. We got religious freedom. This is America. We'll never experience persecution and suffering like the Thessalonians did in their day. And maybe that's right. Maybe that's true. Actually, when you look at 2018, there were some victories for religious freedom in our country. It's quite a marvel because some of those freedoms were under attack before some things that happened this last year. So I, I'm thankful for that. But, and I don't, I don't know if that's going to continue in 2019 or not, but I don't want you to be fooled by this where those the, the situation in our country. Following Christ isn't easy in our day. It might be easier than the Thessalonians had it in the first century. I, I agree. But it's not easy. And in fact, I think there are some, some persecutions on the horizon for us. Let me just give you an example of this and an example in our own day of where we need to be steadfast in our commitment to Christ and to the scriptures, okay? I just learned this last week, listening to podcasts, I listened and heard that the American Psychological Association, did y'all hear about this this last week? The APA, American Psychological Association, they just released its fir- their first ever guidelines for practice with men and boys. And in these guidelines, they have now determined that traditional masculinity is psychologically harmful to boys. I'm not making this up. This happened last week. And this is what's now referred to in our day as toxic masculinity, you know, biblical masculinity, the differentiation between masculinity and femininity. Now, is there some affliction coming our way in this regard? Is there maybe even some persecution for those who pursue biblical truth about gender? Yes, I think there is. I think it's coming. It's now more acceptable in American, in the American psychological community anyway, for boys to act more like girls than it is for them to act like boys or males, to be more specific. And it's, it's an assault. It's an assault on traditional biblical distinctions between males and females, boys and girls, biblical masculinity, biblical femininity. What's a Christian to do in a world like that? What are we going to do? Let's just dig a hole and dive in at Pastor Tony and wait for Jesus to come back. No, you can't do that. Here's what you do. Everybody listening? You remain steadfast. You hold fast to the truth of the gospel and the truth of the scriptures. And you teach the boys in our church to grow up to be strong, God-honoring men. And you teach the girls to grow up in our church and to be strong, God-honoring women. I was so fired up about this this last week that I, I, I wanted to preach on it today. But, you know, I don't want the tail to wag the dog. Just because our culture is confused about this, let's stay the course, okay, and be. And I'm not afraid either for the kids here at Harvest Decatur. I want you all to know that. I'm not afraid. 
because we're going to teach him. I'm, I'm afraid for America at large and the confusion that's disseminating and in our schools and other places, but I'm not afraid for our kids because we're going to teach them and we're going to pray our faces off for them and we're going to love them and we're going to teach them what it means to be a strong man of God, our boys, and be a strong woman of God, our girls, and to defy what the world says that is untruth about their identity. Y'all with me, church? Are y'all in this battle with me? And we're going to do right by God and we're going to do right by the scriptures. And we're going to pray that God would strengthen our endurance, our steadfastness, even in the midst of trials, oppositions, afflictions, suffering. I told my son, I told him even Friday, you're growing up in a world that I didn't grow up in. And I don't know what you're going to hear from what directions, but I want you to hold fast to the truth. And I'll help you. He's not afraid, and I'm not afraid for him either. So here's what we're going to do. In fact, here's, a, here's what we're going to do to finish this message today. I want to finish today with, with a time of prayer. And just pray for our kids, pray for our country, pray for these three things to be evident in our church that I've preached on today, that we would have a faith that's flourishing, that we would have love for one another that's abounding, and that we would have an, endur an endurance, a commitment to Christ that is strengthening and unwavering. Let's do that now.